And I think that is so uh, relevant, especially in, in marketing technology. We talked about AI a little bit earlier, but the marketing technologies that are coming out every year are just changing. The products that we mentioned a second ago, Loom, Figma, um, Notion, Canva, all that stuff, a lot of that stuff wasn't even around five years ago. It didn't, didn't exist or no one knew about it. And it's super important if you want to stay in your game, at least on the marketing side, you need to understand the latest technologies, how to interact with them, and what's coming next. And so continuously trying to learn, realize you don't know it all, and trying to get a little bit better every day um, has, has been important for me. And I, I still hopefully do that, you know, till I'm old. Hi. And welcome to Career Illustrated. I'm your host, Jonathan Tanner. Each week, we explore fulfilling careers by inviting industry professionals to share their personal insights and experiences. This show is for you if you're looking to make a career change, just getting started in your career, or curious about different roles and industries that are helping to shape our world on a daily basis. So join us in discovering new opportunities and learning more about the inner workings of the world. Today's guest is friend and former high school classmate, Michael Everts. Michael is a product marketing manager at Office R&D based in Atlanta. Office R&D is a software company helping co-working spaces deliver great experiences to their customers. Prior to Office R&D, Michael founded and operated his own co-working space called Shared Spaces for two and a half years and served as a director of marketing for an audiovisual company. He's been in the co-working and flexible office industry for almost seven years now. I'm excited for you to learn about what he does as a product marketing manager and all of the activity and changes happening in the co-working space today. And with that, I'd like to say, hey, Michael, and welcome. Tanner, uh, Jonathan, thank you so much for uh, having me on today. Um, I know it's been a while since we played football together back in high school, but uh, glad to catch back up with you in a professional sense. Awesome. Hey, I'm looking forward to it. And um, I guess just for those listening, he may or may not call me Tanner. That's, that was my yeah. high school name. So, uh, <laughs> And mine was Everts, you know, on the names. football team. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So um, let's jump right in. Uh, to uh, start very broadly, I'd love to know and have you explain what is co-working or flexible working exactly? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so flexible working or co-working has obviously uh, come up a lot over the past year or two, given the way we're all changing how we work. Um, but in a nutshell, flexible working or co-working is considered a shared office space that includes a variety of options like co-working centers, desk, executive suites, and private offices. Um, you know, as a concept, flexible workspaces are designed to provide teams and individuals with different ways to work depending on their needs at that moment. Um, a lot of people think that co-working or flex spaces are just for startups, uh, but that's not true at all. These spaces can also be used for large businesses, uh, from solo entrepreneurs to large enterprise teams. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's a couple things that are normally associated with a co-working or flex space. These might include shared amenities like Wi-Fi, coffee, printing services. Um, many times they're very service oriented. So you have someone sitting at a front desk helping your team. Um, there's less upkeep in a co-working or flexible space. You know, you as an employee of a company or company don't have to worry about keeping the workspace clean because there's services there that help you with it. Um, many co-working spaces are fully furnished, so you don't have to buy furniture when you start using them. Um, and there's a lot of designed and built spaces to kind of keep employees engaged and keep them happy. Um, I'd say the most important thing about co-working and flex office compared to traditional office is they have very flexible leasing options, ranging from days or months to a year or two, depending on the needs of the business, uh, which is really important for agility. You know, traditionally before the pandemic, um, many corporates would sign leases and offices for five to 10 years. And, you know, that doesn't really make sense in a world like today where you only have a small amount of people that might be even going into the office at the right, right, you know, at the, the same time. So, yeah, uh, co-working spaces and flexible offices are all about flexibility, using the office when you need it and want to um, and not getting locked into long term corporate leases. I know that was a lot, but I hope that uh, gives you a good overview. Yeah, extremely thorough. And as someone who has, you know, gone to a few co-working places as a guest on like the one day pass, yep. I, I didn't know all these details. So that, that helps a lot. And then before we get into your specific role and 
your experience in the space. I want to, can you tell us a little bit more about your company, Office R&D, and um, what they're doing within the space? Absolutely. Yeah. So at Office R&D, uh, we really believe that flexible work plays an integral part in the future of work. Uh, we've actually been working on improving flex workspace operations back since 2015, well before the pandemic. This was already a thing that was starting to become more and more normal. Um, I joined the team back in 2019, and in 2020, we actually raised a $10 million Series A to power the future of flexible and both hybrid work. So at Office R&D, we enable this by giving flex landlords, um, operators, owners, the tools they need to easily manage a co-working space, and also giving their members the tech they need to get more work done. What this means is when you go into a co-working space, for example, we provide that white label member application that members use to book rooms, pay bills, interact with the community um, on both the mobile phone and the desktop. And then on the back end, we actually help operators and landlords with those deep accounting and billing issues that they might have run into before. So we manage the payment aspect, the uh, customer uh, payment details aspect. And yeah, at the end of this day, what this means is that you as a member of the space, when you walk in, you can easily book a room from your phone. That door, that access on the, the co-working meeting room will automatically get unlocked. You'll be able to access this space all of this through your mobile phone. So we really help the operators and the members kind of get through that whole experience um, on the flexible side. And currently we're working with over 2,500 offices across the world and over 60 countries worldwide to manage this uh, flexible process. On the other side of Office R&D, we just introduced a new product last year called Office R&D Hybrid. As I mentioned before, this is focused on the hybrid work experiences of all of these companies returning to the office. Um, you know, as an employee, you can do stuff like pick the days when you want to come into the office, manage hybrid schedules, or even book your desk on the floor plan. And we're seeing a tremendous amount of traction here as well right now with so many companies struggling to return to the office, figuring out which days people should go into the office and whatnot. So yeah, those are the two main products we had. I'm more focused on the flex side, but we did definitely introduce a hybrid product last year as well. That's been growing. So you had two years of marketing experience before you then founded your own co-working space that you ran and operated for two and a half years. And I'm, I'm curious, what was it that initially drew you away from the marketing side and made you take the leap into co-working? Yeah. So um, kind of a long, long answer here, I think, but I'll, I'll step back a little bit just to zoom out. So it, it's funny looking back at our time from high school, like I never would have guessed that I would work in the office industry. If you told me, you know, back in like 2010, Michael, you're going to work for an office company. I would wouldn't I wouldn't have you know thought that that would have been the case, but it's funny how it worked out. I've always been very technology obsessed, you know. Um, in my early days working at Avive, which is that AV company I worked for, I was extremely interested in all sorts of collaboration technology. I was really good at taking difficult concepts and softwares and then simplifying them for older audiences, you might say. And what I mean by that is we might go to places like SunTrust, Norfolk Southern, Coca Cola and install these multi-hundred thousand dollar meeting room setups and video conferencing setups. And this was back in early 2010s. Like back then it was not normal to see video conferencing, you know, in meeting rooms. It's a lot more normal now, but it used to be much more expensive and the technology has really improved there. But um, what working for this company allowed me to do was really see the benefit of coming into the office to collaborate. I mean, that's the whole reason people are coming into the office now. You know, if you're gonna sit on Zoom calls all day, you might as well just stay at home. But I really got interested in these purpose-built spaces that help people work together better and just work better in general. And so all of that led to uh, around 2016, I met my former partner who uh, actually owned a Class B building at the time and was very interested in getting into co-working, but didn't have any idea how to do it. We had a vision that we could kind of integrate furniture technology all into one to build you know, the next evolution of working, which, which is co-working. And yeah, this was around the same time that WeWork was on its meteoric rise. This was before the meteoric fall, of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, in 2016, 2017, WeWork had just received, you know, tens of billions of dollars in funding. And it was a very exciting time. Still is an exciting time, but there was a lot of growth in the industry. And so, yeah, we built a space called Shared Space, grew it to three locations and several hundred members over the next few years. Uh, it was actually during this time that I actually started using Office R&D as a platform to manage my member and collect that revenue 
And that's really how their relationship gets started. Then around 2019, uh, I made the jump into into software, co-working software, but uh, not managing uh, a, a physical space anymore. I, I've always been kind of closely associated with the marketing aspect of it, um, but kind of my love for technology and, and collaboration spaces in offices has kind of driven my my career over the past couple of years. So yeah, hopefully that gives you a good good rundown of that. Can you tell me a bit about your role as PMM in the, in the co-working space and how some of the responsibilities that you have at Office R&D may differ from our traditional tech PMM? Yeah, absolutely. So one thing that I've learned in speaking with other PMMs um, is that uh, in SaaS, at least, you know, traditionally people actually come to PMM in kind of weird ways. And, and what I mean by that is uh, when I joined the company Office R&D originally, I was the first U.S. hire and uh, we, we needed uh, onboarding and customer success people at that time. So I did onboarding customer success for a year. I onboarded clients, got them set up with the platform. As a former operator myself, it was very helpful because I knew the problems they were going through could onboard them. Um, as the U.S. team started to grow, we needed more salespeople in the U.S. So I led our sales team for about a year and a half, hiring people to sell the Flex product. And uh, again, just selling to operators that I understood their problems because I had them. During my time doing this, I was creating videos, assets, product walkthroughs, all of this stuff to help me sell better. And uh, I was liking sales, but our CEO came to me and he said, Michael, what you're actually doing is like a PMM. I didn't know what a PMM was at the time, uh, but he said, it's essentially, it's creating all the assets, hopping on the webinars, you know, really selling the good word of office R&D to the people um, and getting them excited about, about the product. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I switched out of sales and, and to PMM about a year and a half ago and um, have been doing that ever since, you know, making YouTube videos, product walkthroughs, that other collateral to help our whole team sell and explain office R&D better. So that's a little bit about how I got into the PMM. Um, you know, you ask how... It might be a little untraditional here or might, might, um, the responsibilities might differ. I'd say being a PMM and a co-working for co-working spaces um, is a little more niche than a traditional SaaS role. And what I mean by that is there's only about 45,000 co-working spaces in the world. And that number is quickly, quickly growing. Um, but, you know, compared to the amount of office buildings, for example, there's a lot less co-working spaces. And like I said, it's growing quickly, but it's a little bit smaller niche than like a standard office building. One of the biggest things that I found that I love about this that makes it different is kind of it's a very personal role. And what I mean by that is I work very directly with all of the co-working spaces that, that, that we sell to. I go to dozens of different co-working spaces that are using our product and are not using our product and are able to kind of experience their workspace, talk to the people at the front desk, um, and really just understand how things are, are working. And so that's been one of my favorite things about this PMM role is just befriending so many operators and really working with them to improve their experience and their members' experience. And yeah, a lot of people in SaaS don't get the opportunity to like walk into someone's physical place of business and ask them, how's this product going? But for me, that's been something that I've really taken advantage of and, and, and love to do yeah, there's no better way to get product feedback than to go ask the person at the front desk of the co-working space. Just tell it to your face. And, and honestly, that's been really helpful for me as I've, as I've grown in the role and I think helpful for the company as a whole. So that's one of the few stories that I've heard of somebody working themselves out of a job and into another. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and I, I was doing it on the side because I love to do it. And uh, it, it worked out where, where I was doing another job and, and moved into that. So yeah, it, it worked out well for me. Okay, so now we know a little bit about product marketing and what you do as a product marketing manager. Um, more so explain through what you're doing at, in sales. Could you maybe double click on it and walk us through the pro product marketing process? So for instance, you have the new product, flex, the, the new flexible product. Yep. I'm curious to see hear what it was like, you know, pre-product launch, what's the first thing you do? And then when does it end, quote unquote? Yeah, uh, no, that, that, that's a great question. And uh, I'll, I'll first start by answering, uh, it, it doesn't always end. You know, a product, a SaaS product is always launching and updating. I mean, the good ones are updating every two weeks. And so it's constant process of releases and noise. Um, and a big part of my role is making sure that, you know, 
the customers that are getting all of this software updates can understand the important things and then make use of it in their business. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question and I'm happy to start kind of the, the, from the front, you know, we'll, we'll say this is kind of a new big feature launch, for example. So it's super early. It's super important early on to make sure that when you're planning out and scoping these new product launches, that you take into account the whole voice of the customer, as we'll call it. This voice of the customer is, is, you know, that honest feedback that you get at the front desk. And many times when software is created in a vacuum without getting that voice of the customer, some of the core jobs to be done or core problems are not always solved correctly. So from that perspective, product marketing has to zoom out, start from the, the, the market perspective, looking at the trends, you know, the outside perspective. What's the big story going on within the co-working industry? What's the context? For some people, that might not seem important when you're working on software, but if you don't have that idea going into it, you, you might create a software that doesn't solve the needs that you set out to originally create. So I bring that up because one of the big roles of the product marketing team is to gather all of that feedback from sales, from customer success, from onboarding, from support, from our customers at the front desk and wrap it up and make sure that the product team, the PMs are able to decipher and build what's actually needed. I love that though. You know, I, I love, I have a lot of friends throughout the different areas of the company because of that. And I'm constantly working with our salespeople, with our customer success people to make sure that we're communicating correctly to customers and that we're getting the right feedback from those customers as well. And so, yeah, uh, that, that's the first step. Um, and once we've kind of started to think about that positioning of the product feature from the larger perspective, I then get to work a little bit closer with the product team, you know, and I'll go, I'll say it first, like I love our product managers. I work as a product marketing manager. I worked directly with them and they're my partners in crime many time. Um, but in full transparency, they're mostly focused on, you know, the details of the software, the jobs to be done, the, the UX interface, which is important, but sometimes if they're too focused on that, they can miss the broader picture of why we're bringing this new feature to market. And so these PMs will work and build kind of a scope of the feature outline. This isn't something we'll share with customers, but it gives the internal development team a good idea of what actually needs to be built. So once we have that, the voice of the customer, you know, has been, uh, the, the feedback has been incorporated and we have that scope built. That's when I can kind of start jumping into action and working on messaging and positioning. Uh, this is where we're taking some of that, you know, product dev speak and turning it into something that the average layperson or lay operator would understand. And so, you know, the first thing we'll do is determine how big of a launch this is. Is this some revolutionary new feature or is this just like a table stakes feature that we're building to, to catch up with a competitor? Because depending on that depends on how much effort we'll put into it. You know, do we need like a short blurb on our product update page or do we need a webinar and a huge video and a marketing, you know, a lot of assets. So first we'll determine how important it is. And then we work to brainstorm the best way to position the specific features of the product. Normally starts with a, a, a Miro board. If you're familiar with Miro, you know, Miro jump. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a wonderful digital whiteboard and I'm a very visual learner. So it allows you to literally just get a digital whiteboard, start throwing ideas at the wall and collaborating with the team to see the marketing team, you know, to see what sticks. And then over time, we continue to refine the copy and the positioning. And that's built into the WordPress website pages and the launch announcements. Another huge aspect of that is, you know, building the actual assets, uh, the graphics, the videos, the, the, the content itself. I'm blessed to have some really amazing designers on our marketing team, but that doesn't stop me from getting into Figma or Canva and building a lot of this stuff yourself. You know, if you're trying to agile release, you can't always wait on a designer for a week to build some graphic. You got to do it yourself. I'm also recording a lot of videos, walkthroughs. Um, one of my favorite tools here is Loom. Are you familiar with Loom? Yeah, it's just a phenomenal way to quickly record a video, get it out to the customers, the people you need, whether that's internal or external. Um, and so that's a huge tool that I use. And then sometimes I'll doctor up those videos and make them look nicer, but you don't always need that. You know, sometimes people just want that raw walkthrough without the really like edited version. So all of that we've talked about is just the work that's done to prep and get ready. Then the most exciting part comes, which is actually launching it, releasing your baby into the world. And yeah, this is the most exciting part of the job. You know, we do this a couple ways. We send out announcement emails to customers. We host a webinar to kind of talk about all the updates. Um, we, we, ha we, you know, 
have like an industry conference called Flex World that we host once a year, which is our version where we kind of released our biggest industry, you know, announcements and, and updates. And that's super important, but also just as important as that external announcement to our customers is the internal announcement. It is so important that your work is shared with the team. There's so much digital noise these days among the team when it comes to Slack messages, email, Jira communications. So when you, the whole team is happy and you've made that big launch, it's super important to kind of celebrate the launch internally so that my salespeople, so that my customer success people, my onboarding people can spread the word as well and be informed of what's going on. So I'd say it's just as important to market internally as it is externally with these launches. And then your final, final point, uh, when do you end? You don't necessarily end a certain launch until you move on to the next one. And, and I mean that because we're constantly tweaking our messaging and positioning in the market. You know, as new people come into the market, as people leave, you've got to make sure that you're positioned right so that your product offering is compelling. And that changes over time, you know, who you're fighting against and how changes. So yeah, uh, that, that is an overview of some of the steps we go through on a, a standard product launch. And those steps can happen in a matter of a week or, you know, I'm working on a project right now that's not going to get launched till like June. And so depending on how important that product is determines how long you work on it and how that process works. Before we double click on some of the aspects, I have a few quick questions. So you said lay operator. Is that? Someone who is operating one of the co-working spaces that is your customer? Exactly. Yeah. And, and whenever you're creating these product releases, it's mostly to customers, but it's also to new customers as well. Um, you want people to read it and get excited about it, even if they're not using your product. But yes, it is our, our operator customer. And uh, yeah, I say lay operator because yeah, they're all, they're all very smart in what they're doing. But some of the things that we do are very technical, um, financial, or accounting related, and they might not be the sexiest new feature to sell. So it's my job to kind of take some of these billing improvements and make them sound sexy to the layperson. Um, you know, instead of saying like, uh, you know, reduce, you know, reduce time accounting, you say save time for your community managers so they can focus on the members. It, it, it's turning around those, those kind of features and making them more benefits for the customers so they understand what the value out of using that feature of that product is. And you also spoke a bit about some of the tools that you're using as well. So you mentioned Miro, Figma, Canva, Loom, um, which is great for, you know, asynchronous work and sending stuff to customers as well. Are there any other tools that you're using on a daily basis? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're, we're huge Slack users. We're huge uh, Zoom users. We used uh, Jira to manage internally what's going on with the product process. And then there's a tool I use that's called Launch Notes that I use. It's a product marketing focused tool, but it allows us to have a hub for all of our product announcements. It's where I keep the roadmap, the product roadmap. It's where people can submit feedback. So um, that's one of my favorites on the, um, yeah, on that side. Also, I'm sure that you're hearing about it more, but starting to look at more and more of these AI generation tools. You know, I, I never would use AI to write a blog post for me, but the prompts you can put into the AI to get ideas to really just make you work even faster have been pretty unbelievable over the past couple of months that have been happening. We've been using one called Jasper, which is great. Um, of course, ChatGPT. But yeah, we're still trying to figure out how those play into the, the marketing stack. But yeah, I think as time goes on, it's going to be super important that marketers, you know, take a real look at these tools and figure out how to be more efficient using them. Yeah, I think there's about to be a lot of change there with all these AI tools coming up. That's a whole nother combo. Absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. And then you mentioned some of the other roles that you're working with. So you talked about your uh, working or not working relationship, but you talked about interacting with sales, with product management, with design. Um, are there any other, not just customers? So yes, both customers as well as internal roles yeah. that you're touching as well? Yeah. So, I mean, on the marketing team, we, we work with uh, our demand gen team, which essentially the demand gen's whole goal is just to get more lead, get more people interested in the product and signing up. And so I work very closely with them as well on the marketing side. And then, yeah, I mean, across internally the company, there's, just, there's, there's a lot of collaboration with the different roles. I'm constantly talking to salespeople who are asking me questions about how to position something or, or what we offer. Um, as the product marketing manager, you kind of have to be like the product 
Wikipedia or, or in psych, like, like people ask me for, for the quick stuff. I don't know everything. Our support team knows everything. But if they need a quick explanation of how to explain something to a client, I'm normally one of the first people our onboarding team or our sales team goes to as I have some of that um, experience using the product myself and, and, and know it pretty well. So yeah, it's a lot of different roles that, that product marketing work with. And that's honestly one of my favorite things about the job. You know, I, I love getting that opportunity to work collaboratively with our whole team as well with, with customers. You know, I'm interviewing customers every other week, asking them what they like about our product, what they don't like about our product, what we could do better. Um, and that's that, that's a pretty unique position within the company, I think. Not not a lot of roles get to do so much kind of cross-collaboration within the company and externally. So uh, one of the things I really like. And that feeds in nicely to, um, I guess, the voice of the customer. So let's double-click on that. What are What are some of the areas that you're... I guess, researching or looking for to gather this this holistic perspective of the voice of the customer. Yeah, so this is one I was super excited about. We actually implemented uh, last year uh, because I'd heard about it on some podcast and got super excited about the idea. But what we do now is every single month, we have a voice of the customer meeting where we get our marketing team, our sales team, our onboarding. I mean, all of the, the disparate teams within Office R&D come together and sit with product and are literally just sharing their perspective on the voice of the customer. Sales might say, oh my God, I keep on hearing about this feature that we're missing. And support might say, oh my God, here is a feature we have that has a bunch of bugs to it. And customers are complaining. So the, the problem is sometimes the PMs, who I love, any PMs that are listening to this, they get so product focused that they're not thinking about the actual needs of, of the, the customers. They're not necessarily talking to customers every day as much as some of our other teams. And so the whole goal of the voice of the customer meetings is to get everyone in the same room so that every single month we document what are the most important things customers are asking for or complaining about. Um, that has been really, really helpful for us to readdress our product roadmap, product prioritization. It's been a really good, valuable exercise that we weren't doing before. But yeah, just getting all of those customer-facing teams in the same room to share their feedback has, I think, really expanded our, our team's product knowledge. And um, I think the product's starting to reflect that as well. More features that people have been asking for, more things people are getting excited about. But yeah, it really just takes getting everyone in the same room and telling everyone what they were hearing. And we weren't really doing that in a good way beforehand. So highly recommend Voice of the Customer meetings if, uh, if you're a SaaS company. So in theory, your primary customers are the lay operators. Yep, yeah, no. But you also have to consider in some of your products, the users of the space, right? So if you're tapping your mobile on the thing to get into the room, um, how does, what does that look like when you're factoring in multiple customers with different needs? No, that, that's a really good question. Um, so we're in a unique position where we also get, I think it's called dog fooding. We get to use our own product, both in Atlanta and in, in Europe, where a lot of my team is based. Um, but yeah, we work out of a space in Atlanta called Rome that's been using the um, Office R&D product for almost three years now, and um, we're users of it. So when I book a room, like I booked my room today, I opened the, the Rome app, which we you know produced and made for them, but and, and booked a room. So um, it, it's great that we get to test and use our own product, um, and that's how a lot of the, the feedback and changes happen. But at the same time, members are very vocal about things they don't like, and they tell the operators. And the operators tell us. So um, there's a couple different ways we do that, but you're absolutely right. We're essentially serving two audiences, the operators and the co-working users of those spaces. And so there are some challenges, but I think we've been able to navigate them pretty well over the past few years. You talked a lot about building assets. And to me, it sounded very similar to traditional marketing. So where you're building content and, you know, right before a big launch and even the launch itself that you were speaking about. So could you share some information on how it differs from traditional marketing? Yeah, that's a great question. So traditional marketing, I'll go closer to de demand gen, like their whole goal every day is to get more leads. And it's an important goal. It's, it's with the engine that keeps the company going as we're you know, primarily inbound. Um, and that's definitely, that's things I'm looking at every day. I'm making sure they're called MQLs, marketing qualified leads. So we're always trying to get more MQLs. And my role plays indirectly into that, you know, Obviously, it's important that we get more leads, but for me, the biggest goal is making sure that our go-to-marketing strategy is sound and, and working. And what that looks like is your customers understand what you're releasing, they're using what you're releasing, and they understand what's coming down the pipe from a roadmap perspective. 
So product marketing gets into a lot more, I'd say customer marketing, which is an entirely different type of marketing as well. But we're a little more focused, I think, on the active customers. Then demand gen is all about new leads, new customers, getting new people in the door. So product marketing needs to think about that as well. But we're also looking at existing customers and how we communicate new updates and features to them in a compelling way. So it's kind of two-pronged. But yeah, I mean, also product marketing, it's in the name. I am the, the voice of the product for you know our marketing team. Our marketing team doesn't necessarily know all the ins and outs of our, our products. And when they're trying to communicate this stuff, I act as the liaison to make sure that the messaging's right. We're, we know what we're talking about there. Um, and they're, they're more the marketing experts than I am. You know, I, I, I know enough to be dangerous, but they know all of the, the, the channel strategies, all of that stuff. That's what they're thinking about every day. We're right thinking about the product every day. So it's a little different, but we do work together well. Okay. Hopefully that gives you what you're looking for there. It does. It does. It, it clarifies a lot. So your job is really complex in terms of specifically the product, right? And the, the company, Office Art, wants the product to be successful you play a role in the product's success. Um, let's say hypothetically, it's, it's definitely hypothetically because the flexible product is doing so well now, but hypothetically, the uh, a product isn't doing well. How are you as the PMM measured for success? Because you could have done an incredible job, right? But it could be the, the features or, yeah. correct or exactly, it could be anything. Um, so how are you measured on success? So, no, it's an interesting question and, and one across PMM community is it's definitely harder to measure success for product marketing manager because you're marketing to existing customers and new ones. You know, you don't have like that MQL goal that the, the demand gen or other parts of the marketing team might have. Um, but I mentioned it earlier, but at the end of the day, the product marketing is about driving the go-to-market. That means the positioning and messaging as well. That means our channel strategies are working appropriately with new leads coming in. Um, as well as kind of uh, field sales and enablement, making sure that our salespeople have the assets they need from videos to pitch decks to everything to effectively sell the product. So those are important. But from a business performance perspective, there's three things that are very important to me as a product marketer. The first one is revenue, of course. You know, uh, I, I know the revenue goals of our company, our monthly, our quarterly revenue goals. And Almost working backwards from that to work on the initiatives that are going to most affect those revenue goals, whether it's updated pricing, positioning, add-ons, packaging, it's very important that I keep that in mind and that I do everything I can to help that revenue target you know, move up. Um, another thing from a business perspective that's important to product marketers is adoption. You know, adoption is understanding you know who's using the product and what parts of the product they're using. We try hard to drive adoption through marketing campaigns to make sure customers are using the latest features. And then finally, retention. This is how many of your customers are staying with your product and stick around. You know, if you have high retention, that's good because you don't need to get as many new customers. So tracking those three things at a higher level, revenue, adoption, and, and retention are three of kind of the larger things that I'm tracking. But again, it definitely is harder to track success as a PMM than it is some of the other traditional uh, marketing metrics. And again, we talked about it before the call, but PMM is relatively newer in the scape of marketing. And so, you know, I believe over time it will become more standardized. What are those key things you're looking at? But yeah, it's definitely a little more difficult to track success um, as a PMM, to be quite honest. And hearing everything that you're doing. So meeting with customers face-to-face, -face, talking with your coworkers across the globe, what are your working hours like and how do you allocate your time. Office R&D has a hybrid working policy. I'd hope so as we have a hybrid product. But yeah, I mean, we um, we I work out of a co-working space in Atlanta called Rome. They have seven locations around Atlanta. And every single Wednesday, the, the team comes into the office. We, we switch around the location so that we're closer to some people where they, you know, where they live. And we meet on Wednesday. Uh, it's not required by any means. You don't have to come in if you don't want to. But I love to come in and see everybody. We now have about 20, almost 25 people in Atlanta, mostly customer success. But yeah, um, we come in every Wednesday, normally go and grab lunch and meet. I also love to go to other co-working spaces around the city, ones that are not even our client, just to check on the experience and kind of stay current. You know, I've been out of the operations game now for almost four years. So uh, I like to kind of stay close to it and keep, keep my ears to the ground and make sure that I, I know what's going on there. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, it's so nice being able to walk up to the front desk when we release a new feature 
and ask that person at the front desk, what do you think about this? Be honest with me. You know, like I, you're not going to hurt my feelings. You don't always get to do that. And, and that's why I love coming into the office as well. So yes, uh, to answer your question, we're hybrid. We're not required to come into the office. And secondly, you know, I, I work from home probably I'd say half the time, at least um, my working hours are kind of funny because I'm working with uh, Europeans. Our, our co-founder started the company in London and we have a small team in London, but the vast majority of my company is based out of Bulgaria, uh, which is right next to Greece and Italy. For those of you on the map that might not know where it is, that means my mornings are always very meeting focused, meeting with the Bulgarian because it's the end of their day. So normally from, you know, 7.30, 8 a.m. to noon, I'm in back-to-back meetings with the Bulgarians, my team, European team. And then the second half of the day, I'm spending more time talking to customers, going to co-working spaces, doing that. But um, it's very flexible. It's very flexible hours. If I, if I you know, need to take a break in the middle of the day, I can do that. Like uh, th- That's what I've loved about this company is as long as you get the work done, you can literally work whenever you want to, for better or for worse. So um, that's that's been great. And one of the things I really like asking is, what are you listening to, reading to stay current on the industry or to, you know, both within co-working and also product marketing? But it's interesting because you're you're getting experience by actually going to other co-working spaces or asking the front desk manager. Yeah. Um, which is amazing. But let's say I'm trying to break into PMM yep. or as a PMM or even like a community manager at a co-working space. What are some of the things that I can listen to? And of course, go talk to co-working space operators now, but things I could listen to read to, to stay current. I, I guess two separate things. One on the co-working side, um, there's a couple really good resources that I've followed. One's called the Everything Co-working Podcast, put on by a lady named Jamie Rousseau, who is kind of one of my mentors in the industry. Like she she's really done a whole really done a whole lot to accelerate the co-working industry. Her podcast has like 300 episodes at this point. Um, she has multiple podcasts, but that's called everything co-working, everything you need to know about co-working operations. And she has just been a, a really, really bright spot for our industry and helping spread the, the word of flexible working and co-working. Um, so go check out everything co-working podcast, um, on the product marketing side, honestly, I get so much from LinkedIn. I know it sounds crazy, but there's so many great product marketing influencers on LinkedIn that I follow and are posting amazing content that I screenshot and reuse myself. Um, there's also a group called Product Marketing Alliance that is, you know, it's it's like a product marketing academy where there's courses and, and a whole group. But yeah, I mean, I was the first product marketing manager in my company. My direct manager had never, you know, my, my direct boss had never been a product marketing manager before. So I've had to kind of learn a lot of this on the go. And um, yeah, the Product Marketing Alliance has been a really, really great resource to learn educate myself and try to figure out, you know, what is product marketing? So, um, yeah, everything co-working podcast for co-working product marketing Alliance and LinkedIn for, uh, product marketing information. And I'll be sure to link all of this in the show notes, um, for those that are interested in uh, learning more about product marketing and co-working place to, to break in. And on that note, do you have any advice for someone looking to break into the co-working space? Um, ideally without having started their own, uh, like you did. Yeah. So I definitely had kind of a untraditional path going into it, but, um, yeah, I mean, if you're interested in the co-working industry, find the, the nearest co-working space near you and get a day pass. They're normally 15, $20, go and work in the environment and see if it's something that you really like. Um, co-working spaces are always hiring for community managers. That's the people at the front desk. And yeah, I mean, that's a great opportunity to understand how the operations of a space is going to go. Um, and yeah, just go talk to the people at the front desk and they're generally very, very friendly and can steer you in the right direction. But yeah, I think that's a great way to go in kind of ground level and, and get the experience, the operations experience you need. Because yeah, as someone that's worked in both software and the, the, the operations industry, it's very hospitality focused. I mean, it's it, it's very high touch. It's like it's like working in a restaurant in some cases. You know, it it, it you get in there at, at eight and you leave at five, and you're the face of the space at the front desk. And you need to someone booked a room, you need to take care of them. If someone's setting up a new membership change, you need to take care of them. If you're trying to sell an office, you have to be a salesperson as well. So it's a really kind of versatile role, and it will give you a lot of options to see what it's like running a co working space. So. Yeah, yeah. To simplify it, go work in a local co-working space near you. Get the vibe. See if you like it. 
And then two, ask the person at the front desk what kind of opportunities are there because like I said, these spaces are always hiring and looking for good help to help manage and promote the space. Um, and then you could figure out what you like from there and kind of go into more detail. But yeah, that'll get you started. So looking out over the next, let's say, five to 10 years, what are you most excited about when it comes to the future of co-working? Yeah, so I mean, even now, most people are starting to know what co-working is. I mean, five years ago, if you ask 10 people on the street what co-working were, probably like one or two would know, maybe. And that's probably because of WeWork. But um, yeah, people traditionally haven't known what co-working is. Um, and it's really interesting because JLL, um, which is a large commercial real estate company, actually predicts that by 2030, 30% of all office spaces will be co-working and flex space. Currently, we're sitting at about 5% right now. So what that means is in the next 10 years, co-working flex is going to take over the office industry because at the end of the day, it's a much better work experience compared to what many of these people were dealing with before, which is sign a five or 10 year lease, manage your office and hope people come in. And many times as your company upsizes or downsizes, you might have an office that's way too big and you're paying way too much money for that. So flexible work really allows you to right size with your business. Yeah. So, so over the next 10 years, I'm just excited for more people to get exposed to co-working. There's a huge opportunity for growth there. And I think what you're going to start to see is a lot of commercial landlords who are sitting at record high vacancy rates right now after the pandemic start to look and say, hmm, th that co-working space down the, spa down the road is completely full. Like, how can we be more like them? And they'll start to give more service-based offerings. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if in the next 15, 20 years, you saw a co-working space in most every lobby of like downtown Atlanta, like co-working spaces are perfect for that. You know, they, they can have coffee shops in them. They can have meeting rooms, event spaces, really service oriented. And it's something a lot of landlords are lacking today. And so I get excited for more commercial buildings and more people just to adopt co-working as a whole. So we're going to see a lot more growth over the next 10 years for sure in the co-working sector. It's interesting that you say that I'm in Madrid right now. Oh, really? And one of the main... Yeah, yeah. One of the main banks in Madrid or all of Spain is called Santander. And they've actually converted a lot of their lobbies into co-working space. And it's free, which I, I don't fully understand the model. But of course, when you walk in, they say, oh, are you a member of Santander? And you say yes or no. And they're like, well, you won't, you aren't yet. So they're, they're like leveraging their existing business, giving you free co-working to make you a company, a, a customer. No, you're completely right. And now I, I've heard, of, I've, I don't know of any U.S. banks that are doing that, but I've heard of co-working spaces that have bought, like have bought old bank buildings to convert them into co-working. But yeah, to your point, that's exactly mm -hmm. the model. You come in, you're working for free here and there. And then when you need financial services or anything, you're right there. You're right next to the person that can help you. Um, and so, yeah, I think you'll start to see more and more of that. More different type of spaces incorporate flexible work into their, into their business. Um, so that, that's super interesting. It is really interesting because like in theory, everything that is unused space can be used as a co-working space if you provide the services you were talking about. Yeah, Wi-Fi, like it, and meeting space. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Ho hotels. And hotels have tried before with business centers. Business centers don't necessarily have the best reputation right now. You know, uh, they're not thought of as like sexy meeting room spaces, but hotels realize this and are definitely investing and in making an effort to improve their conference centers so that people like actually want to meet there and go work there. Um, so yeah, that's interesting to bring that up. As you were applying to the job with um, Office R&D, I'm curious, especially now that you're in marketing, how did you, you know, craft this message and position yourself to show and express that you were right for the role? I had a little bit of an advantage because as I mentioned, I used the product in my co-working space and had used it for two or three years. During that time, built up a relationship with the product team because I'm that guy. A lot of SaaS people probably get annoyed, but I, when I had a product idea or feedback, I was very vocal, not in a mean way, but I was like, hey, you should do this. This is why. So they were very aware with me. Of me. I'd had many calls with them and they were actually part of my uh, you know, uh, decision to start doing this full-time work for working you know, for a SaaS company. And so coming into it, a big part of it, at least on the marketing side, is about can you generate excitement? You know, that's what product marketing is at its core. Like, can you generate excitement about the software features that are coming and get people, you know, motivated to try them out and download them? 
you know, can you make a person care about this small widget or doodad? You know, um, you got to really simplify some of these complex stuff, wrap them up, you know, in a present, put a bow on it and be able to deliver them to people. That involves, you know, taking really difficult concepts and breaking them down into bite-sized pieces. And so I think demonstrating that early on with the team, I remember when I, when I did my interview with Office R&D, um, and I already knew some of these guys, but I made a presentation about how we could improve the product, like a 10-slide presentation about here's things we could do. And I think that they were interested in that, that I was that you know passionate. And I lived it. I was an operator. I lived the experiences. I knew what I was talking about. Um, so yeah, a couple things there, but most importantly, you just have to be able to generate excitement about potentially mundane things for better, or for worse. And I'm, I'm thinking about how great this product has to be in order for you to go from using it on a day to day basis to then saying, I like this so much. I want to go work for them. It really, I mean, uh, from an, from an accounting billing operation standpoint of running a co-working space. When you're billing hundreds of thousands of dollars a month and need to make sure that everyone's billed on the right day exactly and their credit card all working, there's a lot of logistical stuff. And yeah, Office R&D completely solves that pain point. So it's just automated. You set up, yeah, this is Jonathan Tanner. He's coming into this space and he's going to pay $300 a month. Every single month, your card gets charged $300 and I don't have to stress about it as a operator. So um, yes, I definitely that was a big part of it. And as you navigate your career, um, well, one, your passion and, you know, your ability to just roll up your sleeves and jump right in almost to like, you know, to get promoted into yep. another job. What principles are you holding or keeping in mind as you go from one job to the next? Yeah. So I mentioned earlier, I watch a lot of YouTube. I listen to a lot of podcasts. But but for me, it, this concept I got out of a video uh, really talking about like compounding your work and compounding learning. And it's I have this actually on my whiteboard in my office. I have a big like line that just is at the very top of my board. It says 1% every day. And it's this idea that if you get 1% better at something every day for a whole year, like you'll end up something like, I think it's like 30, 37 times better by the, by the time you're done. And so you know, my point is here, whether you're listening to a marketing podcast or a YouTube video or reading a startup blog, I try to take a little time each day to improve my knowledge and continue learning. Um, you know, it seems like a, a really small thing, but it does continue to motivate me to keep on learning and not stay stagnant. And, and I think that is so uh, relevant, especially in, in marketing technology. We talked about AI a little bit earlier, but the marketing technologies that are coming out every year are just changing. I mean, like the, the products that we mentioned a second ago, Loom, Figma, um, Notion, Canva, all that stuff, a lot of that stuff wasn't even around five years ago. It didn't, didn't exist or no one knew about it. And it's super important if you wanna stay in your game, at least on the marketing side, you need to understand the latest technologies, how to interact with them, and what's coming next. Um, and so continuously trying to learn, realize you don't know it all, and trying to get a little bit better every day um, has, has been important for me. And I, I still hopefully do that, you know, till I'm old. Yeah, 1% every day. That, that's, my, that's my motto. I need to apply that to my Spanish learning journey. <laughs> even for stuff like cooking, man, like not even work-related. Like I literally said, I'm going to make, we, we went to a Europe trip last year, speaking of Madrid. Um, we were in Scotland and, uh, they serve incredible ham and cheese sandwiches, toasties, they call them. And uh, literally, I just said, I, you know, I'm going to just going to vote every day a month. I'm going to make myself the best ham and cheese sandwich. And it sounds stupid, but man, let me tell you, my ham and cheese sandwiches are, are divine at this point. And yeah, it's just working a little bit every day and trying to get a little bit better about something that you don't always do. Um, so yeah. you didn't get tired of ham and cheese. I don't. I, 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 lo I love my ham and cheese. So no. Yeah. But uh, okay. <laughs> And the 1% better, um, you mentioned YouTube, is that, I know James Clear and Atomic Habits wrote about it, or maybe like is the one that popularized it. Is that who you heard it from? Yeah, I read Atomic Habits, absolutely. Gotcha. gotcha. Okay. Last question. Um, I like to end the podcast with a hot take. Yeah. And it, it uh, you know, something bold. Okay. <laughs> so I just want to know, what's your hot take on the future of co-working, whether it be you know, physical spaces, it could be software, but something where a lot of people or the podcast that you're listening to, um, you know, they think you're a bit crazy for saying this out loud and publicly. Yeah, it's funny. We actually brought it up earlier, but co-working going like everywhere. Like we were talking about the banking, the banks doing that. And, and what I mean by that is 
it really is starting to pop up more and more. I mean, we're working with a really awesome space out of Atlanta called Saltbox, and they are co-warehousing. You know, during COVID, while everyone was at home, uh, e-commerce went crazy, um, and there was a huge need for like co-work co-warehousing, where you might have a brand and you're shipping and selling a lot of stuff. And they've been growing like crazy. I think they're almost up to 10 locations in the past two years. My point is we're starting to see a lot of these non-traditional co-working spaces. I'm seeing ones for like therapist where it's a therapy co-working spaces. And instead of a therapist having their own office, they rent an office out of a co-working space to meet with clients. So warehousing, uh, maker spaces focused on like building things, physical products. Space as a service in general, I think is really primed to take off. It's becoming a lot easier to easily track and charge people when they come in and work in a physical workspace. And I really do believe over the next 15, 20 years, you're going to see so many more of these spaces, almost have like a coffee shop vibe where you can walk into, get some important work done, you know, get that service that you need and um, go. I mean, you're seeing the, 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 the concept popped up with kitchens as well. You might've heard of ghost kitchens. Yeah. Uh, we don't necessarily work with them. I think it's a little different than our model, but my point is this idea of space as a service. You, you buy the space, you know, you right size to when you need it. And when you're done with it, you know, you can, you can let go of that lease. You're not tied into a really long-term lease, which up until now has really been the, the, the norm. When you got an office, sign a 10-year lease. And I'm pointing because there's a large uh, office building behind me. Um, but yeah, I think that the model of space and a service is, is really starting to come to light and more and more different types of businesses will utilize this. So um, that's, that's my hot take for the future of co-working. That's a bit mind blowing to me because I never, you mentioned ghost kitchens. Um, so like, I guess the former Uber founder has ghost yep. kitchens and I know there are a lot in Dubai as well, yep. but I never thought about it even from like a shared space as a service. Because yep. I'm now thinking about these places like Punk Market, right? Or Crawl Street where it's a bunch of different restaurants sharing a space instead of having their own restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. And, and no, I mean, I. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. For restaurants, I mean, many of them obviously still have the traditional leasing model. But yeah, with with there's a lot of things that space of a service applies to. And so uh, it's exciting to see what what will change there. But yeah, definitely something to keep an eye out for. Awesome. Well, Michael, thank you so much for the interview. I, I'm really appreciative. And this was great. I, I came in knowing very little about co-working spaces. And now I know a lot more. Yeah, Jonathan, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Those were some great questions and I hope they can illuminate uh, the way for people interested in PMM or co-working. And yeah, thanks again, man. Looking forward to catching up again. Absolutely. And to, to close, I also wanted to say congratulations on uh, getting married in yes. the next 30 days. So thank you. You're a month away from the big day and I'm, I'm really excited for you. Yep. Yep. I'm almost there. <laughs> almost there. So uh, I appreciate that. It means a lot. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Career Illustrated. If you want to access the episodes in a more organized manner or want to have input into future subjects and guests, head over to careerillustrated.co and join the newsletter. Thanks again for sharing your time.